Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Chad Fleming. We talked about uh, his practice. We talked about Partners in Profit, his other company that helps with frameboard management and expediting frames and lenses uh, to patients really effectively and efficiently. It was a lot of fun to talk to Chad for that, for our private equity conversation. Please enjoy our conversation. And as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. So tell me about, uh, so since we talked last time, you know, we were, you and I were discussing kind of iCode and Optometry CEO. Tell me what have you been up to? Um, that's interesting. Besides uh, practicing, uh, in practice, we have been adding practices. So we have been uh, private equity. Everything has created a great buying opportunity for practices like myself and others who are looking to grow. So we've added a couple locations since last time I talked. We're up to five locations and nine doctors. So that's keeping me busy with Wichita Optometry. And then from Optometry CEO, um, about a year ago, I've been working on a project um, to help improve the optical um, profits in the optical um, as far as frameboard management and lens management and getting the turnaround times such that um, we can be profitable in a managed care uh, environment. And so that the genesis of Partners in Profit came up, which is what I've been working on mostly now. And what that is, is basically our group comes in. We're a group purchasing organization. We come in, put all the frames on the board of leading um, frame companies. It goes on as a frame demo. Uh, the old bad word is consignment. Um, but basically what it does is it frees up a ton of, um, it was about $200,000, $220,000 that came back into our pocket because we outfitted the board with these demos. And then the lab that we've worked with exclusively, that took about eight, nine months of getting a lab all lined up with that, who happens to be Zeiss. And we're working such that our turnaround times now are uh, three to five days and it's been you know, we've launched that and it's been going good so far. So it allows us yeah. to, it's a little bit different than an alliance. Uh, we don't have exact pricing. We're a group purchasing organization. We're just highly focused in the frame boards and making that a profitable experience. And so we're pushing cost of goods down for practices in the 20% range. So we currently run about 17 to 19% cost of goods. Uh, most cost of goods are somewhere 26 to 28 and so it's very efficient and it automates staff time. That's probably the biggest thing that I do right now is trying to figure out solutions for the staffing problem. And it solves that. So, it helps solve those problems. So explain that. So where, where are the problems that people are seeing within, within staffing for their offices that you can solve for? Um, well, as not only our industry, optometry has been a difficult uh, time in history in regards to staffing. Um, it's across the board, as you see with restaurants and various things like that. So uh, I, tell, I tell our staff it's in three levels. We've got people who, no matter what happens to Wichita Optometry, they're never going to leave. We've got people who are very bought in. They're going to be with us, um, committed, um, as, as we continue to grow and continue to do good. And then we have a third that is the entry third. And that entry third, just the door is rotating uh, with people um, 
and staffing, and we're seeing this as a common theme. So you ask yourself the question as a business person and say, okay, what can I automate? This is pushing me to automate more stuff. So we've automated check-in for four of our five locations. And then with this, we're automating the optical such that the back-end administration, um, we don't rely on somebody who needs to be well-trained. It runs its own. So we've got the vendors who run the boards. They substitute stuff out. It's almost like a competitive, it's not a competitive environment, but they decide what goes in and what doesn't go in based on what's selling. And it's all current products. So I put the weight back on the frame company to manage the boards and then the uh, lab because of what we're doing and how we're doing it. We've got free overnight shipping. So order goes there. They got the frames in hand. We never touch the frames and boom, it spits out to the patient. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's hard because I think probably what you're running into is the same thing. So um, so I'm not unfamiliar with the, the idea of what you're doing. Um, we use a similar uh, a similar entity within Vision Source that is called um, that is called Frame Dream, and um, and essentially uh, it, it when I when we bump up against the problems within this, I think that the important part is that there are options for people who can integrate this in different ways. And uh, the hard part is is that there's some people that that will look at this and be like, no, I, my I want my staff to be in control of buying the frames or I want to be in control of buying all the frames. What do you say to that? Because that's a common thing that people will say as a pushback that I hear. And I suspect you hear the same thing. Um, I I hear the pushback and it's, they have to be at a point. So our uh, membership is by invitation only because we don't charge any membership fees. So to be a part of our group, um, there's no membership fees. uh, So there's, we're being very profitable on that end. And then when I talk to, practices, they have to be at the point that they realize they make a choice between relationships and being part of a community and profits. And when we find those people that they want to take great care of patients, but they don't want to sell the PE and they want to be profitable, there's we don't have to keep working harder and harder. We got to work smarter. So we're not paying anybody to be a part of a group. So right there, that's going to my bottom line. And the other thing is, is when they run the choices You've got to have an owner or somebody running the practice who says, you know what, you guys have chosen this and this has been the way of the past, but things have changed. I want to continue to give you raises. I want to continue to have margin there to ensure you have a good job. And I do that by reducing my cost of goods. So if I'm not paying a group to be a part of their membership, if I'm not paying for frames that are going on the board, and if you can help the patient, so you want your best person helping the optician. Most of the time, your best person is picking frames. And so I say, what's in it for you? Why are you in this? Because you want the patient to have a great experience. I want you in front of the patient. I don't want you in front of a rep. So we spend way too much time. So we don't, we don't have any reps coming through, which has been fantastic. And I get my best people on the floor. So if I can present it to them as their value is in being in front of that patient, they they own that and they appreciate that. And that's uh, encouraging them to say, okay, let me use my gifts that I've been given to um, work with patients. So we present it in that manner. And because we're by invitation only, there's some people that aren't a good fit. There's others that are a great fit. They don't want to sell the PE, but yet they're also being crunched by the numbers. 
They are tired. Uh, there's just not enough margin in there to do what we've always done. So um, some of the ways of the past are your dad's old country club, and we're you're you're not we're not the the way of doing things. We're we're there so that when you work hard. Um, you're not only making an income for being in the clinic, but your practice should be profiting over 10, 15%. And there's no reason why. And then selling the private equity is like, why? You've got a, you've got another leg of the stool that, um, you know, it, it's another diversified investment. Cause if you cash out with private equity, you're going to, you're going to undiverse. I don't know how you call it, say that you're not going to be as diversified. I want to talk about the MyDay multifocal for a second. We had the opportunity to do a preclinical trial with this lens this last summer. And there were a couple of things that I thought were really helpful. The first one is that it is different than a lot of the multifocals that we've used before in our practices where patients, especially early emerging presbyopes, really managed the, it didn't cause a lot of additional uh, distance blur for them. And the other thing that was really helpful was, because we've never been involved in a clinical trial before, was to understand uh, the sort of questions that we might ask our patients. And we ask a pa- our patients a lot of questions about their patient about their satisfaction with a contact lens, but what we weren't doing was actually having them score that themselves. So one of the parts of this that was really interesting to me was asking patients on a scale of 1 to 10 how they would score their vision, how they would score their comfort in their current lenses, and then how they would do the same on their uh, new lenses. And it showed me a lot of times where patients would say they were happy, might rate their vision as a six or a seven. And um, and then it also reframed their thinking about their current satisfaction in their lenses and allowed me to open up the door to offering other solutions. So if you haven't tried something like that in your clinical practice, I would encourage you to. And I would also encourage you to try the MyDay Multifocal for your patients. What do you think about your macular degeneration supplements for patients in category one through category four? Do you think you have a really good way to distinguish between what type of supplement you're using and why you're using it? I'd encourage you to check out the evidence behind MacuHealth. We've used it in our practice for a number of years now, and we have a real great solution for patients in category three and four, as well as supplements for patients who don't need the full AREDS formulation. We've been really impressed in our practice by the way it performs and also by the patient acceptance of those supplements. And MacuHealth has also been a great partner in our practice to help us with resources and tools to help us describe and define why their supplements are more bioavailable than some of the things that patients can find at a supermarket or a drugstore. And the most important thing for me about having a supplement in our practice for patients to have access to is I can know whether or not they're getting exactly what I'm prescribing. So that seems to be really helpful for my patients because they're not scouring through the aisles trying to pick up something and having that 10-minute evaluation of what type of supplement they need. So if you haven't started using MacuHealth in your practice yet, you can find all their information in the show notes and they definitely have something that is worth your patient's time and worth your patient's vision. Yeah, I, I want to dig into that. I want to dig into that, but I don't want to leave the topic of what your group is doing because I think it's really interesting and I, I think the idea is very valuable. So, you know, in our practice, if I were to, I guess if I were to open a practice cold or warm where I was going to replace all the frames, something like this is just like a slam dunk. And you can actually flip it over where you say, look, I'm going to do all the kind of main things that we know patients want. And then maybe we get a couple unique brands in there that I can't get within within um, one of these types of, of 
uh, you called them a GPO, right? That's the We're, idea. Uh, Partners in Profit is a GPO. It's a group purchasing yeah. organization. So it's yeah. set up specifically for that. Yeah. And so if I if I were going to use Partners in Profit as an example, uh, I haven't been invited, by the way. So... Uh, but uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not looking for, for invites. I'm just throwing that out there for everybody to see. I, uh, the key for me is that, um, that if that were the case, I could bring in all of those things in terms of partners and profits. And then I could say, look, I still want to have unique stuff that people can't get any place else. And I could use my team's talents and skills to find those other things that I could bring in outside. Now, maybe I can't yep. turn it around in three to five days, but it still allows me to have a unique as- aspect of my practice that and allows me to hold on to that. Is that correct? That's correct. And we're actually, we will go in and coach when a member comes in, we will work through how they sell down their board. And so I say, hey, you're this year, you just prepare your accountant because you're going to have a very nice income because an average board, say 500, 600 frames is going to sell down. They're going to they're going to put in their pockets about fifty to seventy thousand dollars. So that year is going to be a very profitable year for them because then we come in and we will start outfitting their boards at a um, hundred frame minimum per vendor, and we may start at fifty percent of the board and tell them the other fifty percent keep doing with the brands that like we have Maui Gym. Maui Gym is not part of our program. We're not going to get rid of it. It's great. It works great. We've got other lines that are, we're about 80 to 90% our program and about 10 to 20%, just things that you got to have. But as the Partners in Profit program grows, I'm currently in negotiations because now with it, I'm going in and negotiating to find these companies that are your Galleria type companies like at Vision Expo West, Vision Expo mm-hmm. East that are the top end that they can come in and be a part of the program too, so that we don't just have your main big vendors, um, but we've got a a number of different offerings. But again, it's not, I I would coach somebody that it's not a hundred percent. So yeah, I I think that's, I think that's the take home. I think that's the take home is that people think, well, wait, I'm going to do all, use the bad word, all consignment. I don't want to do that. I, I want to do, you know, I want to have some unique pieces. So you don't have, the point is, is you don't have to do all you know you don't have to do all of that you can do some of it bits and pieces where it works well for your practice and still have the individual uh, feeling of your practice. Uh, exactly, um, and then when you see how that turns and the efficiencies of it, it takes about three to six months to settle in, and then you don't have to have your hands on that because the stuff is current. So that's what you have to check out with any type of program. Uh, whether it's ours, whether it's what you had mentioned, whether it's other programs, is it a program with current product that they're utilizing or is it a program that they have this intermediate product that hasn't been discontinued, but they have a harder time getting rid of it. So that becomes part of the program or is it discontinued product? And you got to make sure you understand where the product's at. And that's one of the things that we do as partners in profit, it's led by ODs. Um, there's actually three of us and we just, we stay in contact with the leaders of the, the frame companies, making sure that it's all current product and it's all new stuff coming out, but they Why like it th- too. Cause they're getting their turns. Yeah, absolutely. When you think about, so I want to kind of parlay this in to kind of the, the, 
back part here of one of the first things that you mentioned, which was private equity. And so I'm seeing this sort of rear its head again. You know, 2020 came around and things got quiet for a bit. And now I'm seeing more emails about it. Uh, I've got some some podcasts lined up to talk to people who know more than I do because they've brokered things or they've sold to things. I don't know if you heard, uh, I've done a couple uh, interviews with some Kansas docs specifically about mm-hmm. their experience with private equity. And, um, and uh, it's just, it, it, um, every single conversation I have about private equity with somebody who isn't invested in private equity, like doesn't have, you know, some leadership role within the organization um, has had the same experience, right? They come out, um, some of them won't say it on, on, you know, publicly, uh, but some of them that will say it publicly will require me to not say their names. Right. (laughs) So that's interesting. But, um, I haven't talked to one yet. I'd like to talk to them where they were involved in a practice before it was sold to private equity, then it sold to private equity. And then after a year or two, things just weren't doing the same thing, right? They weren't feeling the same way. The practice lost its feel. What do you know about that? Um, I know that, uh, I have been approached three different times, uh, and sat at the table to seriously consider it. Cause I don't think you can say one way or the other, unless you truly investigate what the options are. Um, I had a PE group ask me to lead their, uh, be VP of their whole area of the United States, which was humbling, um, in doing that. And I really sat down because from a, from the standpoint of uh, a worldly standpoint, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal opportunity financially. Um, but what I sat on was autonomy. Um, I would lose my autonomy because I would have to answer to a board. I would have to answer to not the patients as much as the profitability and as a company. And then just my my personal worldview of why I'm here and, and what I'm doing. And, and there's more to money uh, in this world. Uh, you know, I, I need to be there for my wife. I want to be there for the wife. I feel like that's why I'm created as a spouse and, and for my kids. So I know that's not what we're talking about today, Chris, but it's just a, a, a core thing in me that uh, I got to live my purpose in, in why I'm here. And that just didn't align. You know, I, uh, I'm of the mindset that um, I can't blame a doctor that would sell to private equity. Like, I, yeah. I, it doesn't, I don't think that that's a fair, a fair, um, a fair thing to do. I think it can happen. I think that, you know, there are, when I see this, I, I see it kind of clearly of, of why people will sell to private equity. I, I'll tell you, you know, I think that, that, um, banks, uh, don't value, like if, if it's a, you have to be very creative if you want to sell your practice, uh, over time or to a younger doctor, if you think you're going to sell your practice and it's going to be done like that and you're mm-hmm. and you're walking away to, and keeping it independent, I think that's a pipe dream. I think banks don't value practices um, like private equity values practices, like doctors value practices. Uh, and so that means that you've got to figure out a way to bring in a doctor that has $300,000 worth of debt and and it's not they're not going to buy you unless they have family money or something else. They're they're not going to buy you in a year or two. They're going to probably yeah. become a transitional partner over time. And, um, yep. and so, but if you've found yourself in a situation where you've got to sell and you have to sell for a high amount because, um, because you're, re- you're counting on that for your retirement, then, 
what else are you going to do? Right. Which is horrible. Oh, it's a bad place to I, be. I don't, no, I don't disagree with you at all. I think that, and, and I know people who have, as, as I'm sure you have, um, they got to do what's best. I think the question comes down is, um, for not only myself, but you brought up a great point. We've got junior partners, uh, who we've been grooming and to pass that on. Um, we just, man, there was people, there was docs before me that, that gave a lot for me to come in and, and invested in me. And it's like just passing it on. And so, man, we get buy-in, we get cream of the crop then as far as docs coming in and you get people who take initiative and real, uh, you know, innovators. And I, I like it. It makes it fun. So yeah, no, I don't, I, I don't talk negatively of those who need to sell or that works out good for them. Um, if anything, I like it because we've had some very large uh, groups around us. And when you have the fear of we're going to fall apart, um, we've been growing and growing nicely. And so, um, yeah, that's been a, that's been a good situation, uh, for us. And I still well, like you, that. I, yeah, how do you ahead. guard against that? How do you guard against, you know, you just said that you've expanded your practice. You've got a few more, uh, practices since the, you and I talked last. Well, you know, once you get big enough, um, it's going to be hard to unload that. I mean, we saw that we've seen that in, in Nebraska where a practice gets so big that they can't, or at least perceivably they can't bring on another partner to buy out an, uh, an exiting partner. So what's your plan for that? How does that, that how does that happen? Well, they're the vision that they have. They're not thinking ahead. You should be working. I'm not exiting in the near future, but I'm already thinking about that exit. So when you have big groups like that, they didn't plan far enough in advance. You should be planning 10 years in advance, 15 years in advance of who is going to uh, buy you out and how you're going to build your team. You're a leader. You're leading a football team. You're bringing them in. You are, you know, whether you like Tom Brady or not, people love playing for him because he, he puts his arm around you and says, hey, we're going to be champions and let me teach you how to do that. I think it's the same principle when you have a large practice. Don't just own two or three people, own it. And then all of a sudden you get to the end and you're like, well, we have no other choice. It's like, no, you should be grooming people along the way so that you have a board of people that you're leading and facilitating so that they can understand how to manage this thing together as a team. And so, you know, I know leadership's a big thing for you, Chris. I know that you know me and my past history with leadership. It is. It's leadership and it's mentoring and it's helping the next generation be successful in private practice. Yeah, I think that's the that's the thing I'm thinking about too. So so you know, our practice isn't as as large as yours in terms of locations. Um we've got a nice single location practice that um that my dad and I were 50/50 partners for the last few years and it, and he did the same thing to me. You know, he I, he gradually brought me in, you know, I was able to buy him out over time, which gave me more responsibilities and more financial investment and also financial rewards. And then we shared that role for, for a while. Um, and, and again, i I tell people this all the time. Like, I think if, if you were to ask my dad, if it was, he would be very charitable. He probably wouldn't tell you this, but, uh, there were times where I'm sure he was like, man, I'm, I am making less than I would have otherwise made. Had I just done this all myself? You know, we had, uh, if I would have just been on my own, I would have made a lot more money because I, because there was a time when I was first out of school that I wasn't pulling my weight. You know, I mean, I know that, but 
but that allowed that transition period allowed us to get to the point where we're at right now, where uh, at the end of last year, I, I bought his last 50% out and, um, and he had the ability to say, look, I'm going to be retired uh, from clinical practice in July. And uh, I know that the practice is in independent hands moving forward. And so, um, and so like now I'm thinking, all right, well, I'm 40 years old. Uh, I've got two associates, I guess my dad's my associate. So I got three associates at least for the next month or so. And, but I'm, I've got to start thinking, okay, now in, in 10 years, 20 years, like these, these associates, are they going to be the ones that are going to want to be, to be partners? And if they do, and if they're the right people and, uh, is how do we get that transition period to, to work out? And I, I agree with you. I think you got to think well in advance of that. Yeah. And I think there's a mistake that a lot of smaller practices make that it sounds like you haven't. You've started to bring in associates. Everybody looks at you bringing an associate and you make so much less. But I would argue the flip side of that, if you understand investing, you understand how the system works, um, you can actually grow a system such that you can be, if later on in life, you just want to manage the practice and have an investment just like you would real estate, you can do that in providing jobs for doctors and letting them have some autonomy themselves. And you can also make a nice income for the risk you take. Plus, if you do the math on it and you make wise investments now, you're going to be farther ahead. I look at it, if we just have an asset fire sale in 10, 15 years, and I've done this and invested wisely, not increased my, my living, I mean, if I'm going out and I'm yeah. making more money and I'm increasing my living, that's a whole nother story. Then I am going to end up with nothing. But if yeah. you do it wisely, you can end up and you don't even have to sell it for a whole lot. And you're, you're still ahead and you still called the shots. And it's not a selfish me driven of why I want to call the shots. It's the, the freedom of what that brings when I come home to my family and how I live and the stress or anxiety that I live under if, if I get to call the shots. You know, or my I think, team does. Yeah. No, I think that I think the idea of, you know, you made the point of, you know, you work for a big organization, you're answerable to not just your patients, but to the board, to your board. And clearly, you know, you've got multiple different entities. And I think a lot of people would say like, well, Chad, how do you do all the things you do? And how are you have all the flexibility with your family? But the thing is, is that you get to you get to call the shots on it, right? Like you do, you know, you're a practice owner. And you own, you know, consulting uh, and I guess you could probably and GPO companies. And um, so there's multiple irons in the fire. But if if you say today we're done, I'm done. Five o'clock, I'm done. Or I'm not seeing patients on this day so I can I can run around with the kids in the morning. Or maybe today's the day I work from home. Like today is the day on Thursday that I work from home. Most Thursdays I've got time. I can I can hang out with my kids, you know, in the middle of the day in, yeah. during summer. And so um, so like. Yeah, you've got a lot of stuff going on where you might be logging in to do some work. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not like me, but you might be logging in at six o'clock to do some work, or in the morning, or you know, ten o'clock at night sometimes. But that gives you the ability to choose when you're doing those things, and you get to be the master of those decisions. And I think that's really important. Yeah, we can leave for the weekend in the summertime. We can leave on a Thursday evening. And I can do my work while we're traveling. We go down to my parents' house in Arkansas and I can work Friday morning because I'm remote. And it's not that I, it's not not wanting to work. It's just working in your own space and having, again, that autonomy to, 
have that freedom to work when kids are in bed or something else so you can focus on what your values are. I think it's, I think it's having the margin and having the, um, freedom to schedule your values. Yeah. Yeah. Play, yeah. Schedule your values. You know, um, Oh, he's going to hate it. If he hears that, I forgot his name. He does the 2020 money <laughs> podcast. Um, uh, Adam Schmelia, Adam Schmelia. And, um, and he talks about making your practice work for you instead of you working for the practice. And yeah. that might mean a $500,000 practice. That might mean a million dollar practice. It might mean a $2 million practice. But you brought up a couple points. The first one is uh, not increasing your standard of living commensurate with your standard of income. And I think that that's been one of the things that my wife and I, um, I'm so grateful that we did early on was, you know, uh, get rid of our student loans have a perspective that will, you know, certainly the way we live now is differently than the way we live when we got out of school. But, um, but it's nowhere near the difference in income I have now compared to seven years ago. We're basically living in the same house that we bought seven years ago and our income has, has significantly increased since then. Yep. Yep. The old principle of you pay what you buy for, don't, don't get into loans and uh, put some of your money uh, away as you go forward and not try and just live to what your income is. It goes a long ways and creates a lot of freedom. Um, it's tough on the front end, as you know, with uh, school debt and things like that, but it can be done. Um, and I think the tipping point, if you can have the delayed gratification until the tipping point financially, um, and what I call the tipping point is when you can go from in debt to being out of debt and creating some freedoms with that. Um, if you can hold on to that tipping point, it, it changes your family, family life. It changes your work life. It changes. It, it allows you to make decisions that are in the best interest for you and your family and not decisions that you have to make or have to do. And I think that's freedom that you, yeah, there's not a price on that. Can so. you get that? Is that an easy freedom to get if you don't own a practice or aren't on a path to owning a practice? I think I think you have to have your hands in the fire of other things. And what I mean by that is you either have to live very frugally, which I think it's very difficult in today's day and age, or you have to have... Um, things that you're doing on the front end to generate some more income that you can get to that point in a, in a re, at a reasonable age um, in getting to that point. Because what I've seen with private equity is, and it's reflected everybody, but the, what you have to pay an OD in today's uh, culture, today's environment is less than what you used to have to pay which a lot of that is private equity has pushed down that percentage of what's expected um, for, hmm. you know, percentage of revenue. Um, so what I'm finding is that as a private practice, we can also offer more uh, to that. But what I don't like for my colleagues and the future of optometry is I think it's, I think it is a very positive future but I don't think that the income for solely an optometrist is, is growing like it needs to. If anything, it's you got to work harder to get what just the other, just this last week, um, there was a place on the East coast that's paying 11% of revenues. 
the lowest I had heard was 12%. And I was with AOA for about three years consulting members uh, for business. And I did a lot of associate owner types of, you know, mediating and 12% was the least I heard. So to make 120, you got to kick out a million and you're just, man, dude, you're pumping it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, especially if you're doing, and my suspicion is I'm not, this is probably not entirely true. I mean, I've talked to guys, I mean, like David Nelson, David Cockrell there with Kepler. I know they, I know they treat disease to the highest level, you know, that they possibly can. Uh, and I have a lot of respect for those guys, but you know, my suspicion is, is that the, the new graduate that comes out of practice, they're basically, um, you know, I I would guess maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I would guess that they're, they're doing largely glasses prescriptions and tonic lens prescriptions and just turning them out. I mean, to produce a million dollars that way in a year, you are, I mean, you probably got to be seeing 50 patients. 40, 50 patients a day, easy. Yeah. Yeah. We've, uh, I've hired people from new out to 20 years of practice to being in commercial. And what I've seen as far as commercial and the ones I've hired, they're about six patients an hour for, um, yeah, just vision wellness stuff. And you're kicking out all medical. And I just, cause you and I are through the grapevine. I uh, hear about each other. I know you guys are very medically oriented, obviously the school you came from and we're the same way as far as we act probably 60% of our revenues are on the medical side. And for that many locations, that's, that's still a good amount. And so, yeah, it just kind of depends on how you want to practice too. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I agree again, you know, I don't make any judgments. I just think, man, six patients an hour, that would be bananas. Um, especially if you, if, if you don't have the the support staff or the infrastructure to, to manage that and you're having to do a lot of the things, um, I couldn't go without no a control. Scribe. I think oh, I'd I retire if I didn't have oh, a scribe. I couldn't either. I, we did. So I got a scribe. Um, I can't remember who I talked to about it. I talked to a couple people. It might've been, you might've been one of them. And, um, we switched over our EHR in 2018. And that's when I said, look, I'm, I, I love seeing patients, but I hate managing the charts. I hate it. But I, I felt like I'm so unique and every single patient's so unique. I could never have a scribe. And um, it is, man, it is just wonderful. I mean, it's wonderful. It, you know, I, it, they document better than I would. They, um, I am not, I'm very predictable. Um, so they manage the chart better than I do. Um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And they learn and they, so I'm just, I'm, I'm doing glaucoma and dry eye. And so they learn the diseases. They're able to do the education as good, if not better than I do. And they're able to deal with all the medications because glaucoma and dry eye, everybody's on some kind of medication. So they're dealing with all of that, compounding the medication, getting the autologous serum lined up, whatever they're doing, they're able to do that if they've worked with me long enough. And that's just, oh, that's golden. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just in, you know, I've, I've made these comments before, you know, one of the things, one of the barriers for, you know, ODs practicing at a really high level, even within dry eye is, you know, if you don't have the infrastructure to manage things like prior authorizations with your team, the doctor's yeah. going to get a prior authorization and be like, well, okay, sorry, just use an artificial tear or whatever it yeah. is, you know, most of them. So unless, and, and unless you prescribe a lot of medications, you're not going to devote the time to training somebody to do that. 
And so if I prescribe a medication, so it just becomes this cycle about how do I figure out the process to get through a prior authorization effectively for each disease state. And that's a huge hindrance that I think my suspicion is if you work for a large group, probably a group with ophthalmology, that would be the pull there is like, look, I'm going to write a prescription and somebody else is going to handle all the prior auths. I don't have to worry about it. But in your practice or my practice, if we don't have those systems in place, uh, it's going to be hard. Yeah, it is. So I I don't want to lose my scribe. Yeah, me neither. Listen, uh, Dr. Fleming, this has been a lot of fun. I'm going to be respectful of your time because I know I, 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 um, I told you a certain amount of time and we're close to over that right now. Tell people where they can find you. Uh, well, you can find me at Wichita, probably at my house, but I'm probably not <laughs> going to give that address. Um, Wichita Optometry is what I'm doing as far as in my clinic and everything like that. And that's in Wichita, Kansas. Um, in regards to if you listen today and you're interested in what we're doing in regards to the optical advantage or the uh, frames, it's partners in profit. Uh, feel free to email me at chad at P-I-P-G-P-O dot com and basically if you're plugged into your optical um, you're already qualified Uh, we're all going to talk through some things with you but we are we're making a difference for people and we have no membership fee again if you learn our group who we are it is we have this saying eteros and basically eteros is greek for uh, a partner who's in to serve for others and when we serve others um, we're taken care of also. And so that's kind of our mantra. That's where we're headed. But thanks, Chris. I appreciate the time and I appreciate the time having me on and talk to you anytime. So it's an easy conversation. Um, I think we have very similar, uh, ways of thinking. So it makes it an easy conversation. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I think, uh, I think it kind of comes from, from maybe our, our background and our, I'll call it our breeding uh, that we, or, or maybe our, um, our brainwashing that we got, uh, uh, a long time ago. That could be, could be. So. 